Informed Dissent, brought to you by Firearm Training Associates. Firearms Training Associates is, is a lucky company because we have been able to draft in some of the best instructors in the world. We have special operations guys, we have guys from the U.S. military, from foreign militaries that work for us. They provide a great deal of insight into self-defense. So we developed this so that our customers could come on the weekends and get the best training in the world. We pride ourselves on our civilian training. It's our armed civilian that's one of the most important things to us. We want to teach them how to survive dangerous situations. When you come through the course, as long as you're performing at a acceptable level, you're going to get a certificate that puts our stamp on it. And we take it serious when we put our stamp on there. When you get our gold label, that means that you've passed the class that you've attended. Firearm Training Associates, proud sponsor of Informed Descent. Find out more at ftatv.com. Informed Dissent. The intersection of healthcare and politics with Dr. Jeff Barkey and Dr. Mark McDonald. Well, Mark, welcome back to another episode of Informed Dissent. Great to be with you. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Brent. Nice to be here with you guys. Tonight, we've got a great guest uh, that uh, we try to bring our audience some interesting people. And, and tonight, we've got a really interesting person uh, with a great story, and that's Brent. Hamacek, Hamacek, did I pronounce that right? Hamacek. Hamacek, right. It's uh, could go either way, but Brent, it's Hamacek. Hamacek. Brent, great to be with you tonight. You've got a very interesting story that I know our audience is going to love to hear about. Uh, your relationship with uh, Zev Valenko, um, and you've done some work for Turning Point USA. So tell us a little bit about who you are. And, uh, and what you do. Well, you're, um, you're talking to the luckiest guest you'll ever have on your show. I'm just uh, I'm a kid that grew up on the Canadian border in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, who's had quite a remarkable journey in life. And uh, so for a very long time, uh, 20 some odd years now, I've had my own business consulting practice and worked on a lot of projects with a lot of different companies, a lot of different ways. And, and that's been a great journey. But uh, nine years ago, uh, I got introduced to this young teenager who had started a group called Turning Point USA and uh, by somebody who had met him, somebody my age who had met him, and thought I might be able to help him somehow. And I thought, well, I can't imagine how that would be. But uh, we went out to dinner one night and had a little bit of chemistry and uh, seemed to share a, a, the same way of sort of processing data, I always say. We, we don't just agree on things. We actually seem to process data the same way. And so I uh, started to work with Charlie in Turning Point. I was fortunate to wind up writing uh, all their original foundational literature that they used in the organization and co-wrote Charlie's first book with him. And then it's been a, a great ride ever since and has led me to today where I'm the executive editor for Human Events Media Group. We have uh, Human Events and we have the Post Millennial on our platform. And uh, so there's that. In addition to that, I uh, have started a program called Common Ground Campus uh, with my partner, Felissa Blazek, where we travel around the country and go to colleges and high schools and get kids to not debate controversial on-campus issues, but to actually sit down and talk about where they're coming from, ask questions of one another, and then find common ground. And finally, uh, in this storybook journey, uh, I'm a member of the board for the Zelenko Freedom Foundation, uh, named for the late Dr. Zev Zelenko, and I had the great privilege of uh, writing his book with him before he passed away this past June. So, luckiest guy you're going to talk to, uh, that's a lot of stuff, 
I hope everybody in your audience is still awake. If they are, we survive the introduction and we can go on to the rest of the show. Well, that's awesome. I'm sure they're still awake. And before we get started further, just a shout out to our favorite sponsor, and that's Firearms Training Associates. And uh, Mark and I have both had experience there. They've got a wonderful training facility um, in addition to having a um, federal firearms license where they actually can sell product to you as well. Uh, Mark, when's the last time you were out there? I'm actually going there this weekend. First time in 2023 to do an advanced handgun course. I have improved my skills substantially in handgun, and I'm going to continue with that this year in 2023 as I await the approval of my conceal carry permit. Well, good. Your skill may be needed in the uh, living in the LA area, huh? <laughs> I actually had a guy from Arkansas come in today to take off some film from my windows in my office. And uh, he said, what's going on here in LA? This place is crazy. I'm so glad that I have a concealed carry permit from Arkansas that has reciprocity. And I can actually protect myself and my family as I go back and forth from my uh, working site to the hotel. And I said, you know, go Arkansas. Uh, he was all in. <laughs> well, I, I have a firearms range in my own home, actually. It's in my front hall foyer. I'm just waiting for an uninvited human to walk in so I can test it out. So, understood. understood. Yeah. So, so, Brent, of course, Zev Zelenko uh, was a hero in the, in the freedom movement. He was one of the first to come out and speak openly about the uh, necessity and the efficacy of the early treatment for COVID-19. Of course, the Zelenko protocol that included hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and a Z-Pak um, made national attention and for some reason was thought to be controversial. And you had the, of course, the honor of meeting him and working with him and helping him finish his book. Um, so tell us about that. What was your, what was your experience working with the great Dr. Zelenko. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I, I owe uh, working with Zev to my dear friend, uh, Tamara Lee. Tamara and I do a show together on Rumble and have for a long time and have some fun. And uh, I always joke, everybody loves Tamara and she seems to know everybody and she finds them. And in December of 2020, after Zev had been banned from Twitter, uh, she found him and uh, invited him to come and talk to us for an hour. And uh, from that interview that we did, uh, a friendship was born. And he and I uh, remained in touch then as the year 2021 progressed. We would talk frequently in text and we didn't talk about medicine or the pandemic. We talked about theology and political science and philosophy. He had a brilliant mind. He used to stretch my boundaries in every direction. And um, there's a fun story how the book came about. There was uh, there was a morning very early in uh, August of 2021 when Zev sent me a text message at probably about 2.30 in the morning, thinking that I would see it when I got up the next day. And to his surprise, I couldn't sleep either. And I wrote back to him immediately. And we then started uh, texting throughout the rest of the evening into the morning hours and when the rest of the world woke up. And after that exchange with him, I, I called Chris Barron, who's the PR person for both of our, our groups, and I said, you know, I've been texting with, with uh, Dr. Zelenko all night long. It seems to me he ought to think about writing a book. And I didn't even suggest that I write it with him. Uh, but Chris thought that was a great idea, brought it up to Zev and his team. And they said yes. And then Zev said that he would like me to be the one to write it with him. 
and thus began a journey that was a really extraordinary life experience for me. It was a privilege. I'm well aware of the fact there's probably 100,000 writers out there who would have liked to have had the assignment that I got, uh, but I got it. And now we're right back to that lucky kid from Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, right? How did this happen? Yeah, that's quite a story. The book, of course, is called Zelenko, How to Decapitate the Serpent. Zev likes serpents and snakes. Uh, trying to think of the song when we were young. I don't like spiders and snakes. Can't remember who sang it, drawing a blank. But uh, look, Zev was a, a very, he was a man of profound faith. In fact, I used to kind of joke with him. I would say that he actually didn't have any faith. He had knowledge. I've never met a person more certain, not believing in, but certain in uh, God's existence and presence in his life and in this world. And at the same time, though, um, while he accepted the thesis, he knew about the antithesis. And he certainly believed that there was a real force of evil at work in this world which of course historically has often been represented symbolically with serpents and snakes. And so in saying how to decapitate the serpent, which is Zev's subtitle, uh, what he was trying to say to people is that there is a way to fight back against the force of evil in this world. That way lies within ourselves, not right? Not, the, the answer lies not within the government, but within ourselves. And he was very convinced that the forces of evil had been at work during the pandemic and that people had submitted to them, to them either voluntarily or through negligence. He couldn't be too bothered to discern the difference between them because he knew what the effect was. And so the message to people in this book on some level, even though the story is very compelling and it shows a very dark side of what took place, it ends with sort of a, a message of hope uh, because he wanted people to be hopeful and to know that they had the power themselves to seek and find good through God and reject evil uh, and shown in the form of serpents and snakes. Brent, of course, you helped write this book with Zev. And Mark and I have been on the front battles uh, fighting for medical freedom, uh, along with America's frontline doctors and on our own efforts. Um, do you, do you think we're winning this war? Do you think the serpent's head is partially decapitated? Have we, are we heading in that right direction? Or are the forces just so overwhelming that we just need to keep fighting and put it in God's hands that at some point that uh, the battle will be ours to win? Well, the medical freedom fight is really part, it, it's, a, it's a component of a bigger fight. And, uh, and Mark and I have had a chance to have conversations about in my writings and in his spirit about being a dissident in 21st century America. And we're, we are dissidents now. And what we're doing is we, and we put ourselves in the spot over a long period of time. We sort of voluntarily surrendered our freedom and liberty and our minds and our souls to government. And so the question you ask is a good question. And I would say, when you say, are we winning? Uh, I would answer that by saying, well, that it, technically it's not possible. So, we, this is something that we can't ever win. Imagine a day when all of the forces of collectivism and totalitarianism are completely and totally vanquished and wiped from the field. The very next day they'll be back because this is mankind's nature. This is what we've done to one another forever, as you can look at a picture of Thomas Hobbes over my shoulder. So it's our nature to try to control and dominate others. Uh, that's what men do. 
So there's no winning because we can't win. Have we made some progress? Yeah, I think we've made some progress. I, I think it's undeniable that there's a greater level of awareness among a lot of people. A lot of people started to wake up to collectivism and some of the how much liberty we'd given up when Donald Trump decided to run for president, right? He woke up a little bit of a national spirit, an ethos of what it may be meant to be an American again for some people and, you know, talk of the Constitution and free markets and other archaic notions. So that was good. But the pandemic made us more aware when not only did we see government uh, exercising uh, excessive control over our daily lives, but we also watched neighbor turning in neighbor over their backyard fence for having six people in, the, in their backyard without masks and having a cookout. So we saw an ugly side of ourselves. We saw an ugly side of our government and there was no way to miss it. So there's more awareness. There's more activism. We didn't get here in two years or two months or even a decade. We got here over a hundred years. So it's going to be a very long process. We can't win, but we can make progress. And then we can try to hold ground with vigilance. Help me understand here. You go, you, you know, we're in football playoff season right now. So imagine a team going on the field with the knowledge that they can't actually win. And so we can't actually win because it is an eternal battle is what you're saying. And there, there is no end result that there's a victory. Uh, there's just constant vigilance. And so where does somebody, if you, if, if you have the knowledge that you can't actually win, if I go on the battle, if I go on the air, if I uh, write articles on Substack and elsewhere like Mark does, knowing that ultimately my efforts aren't going to lead to a victory and none of our efforts are because evil is never going away, I guess, and we can't ever win. What, what motivates people to keep trying and to keep working hard in, in our case, in the medical freedom movement, or for that case, for liberty, for freedom, for the principles upon which our founders uh, wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and founded our country? Yes, it does seem as though I'm a bit dark, doesn't it? Well, the, the, first, the first thing I would I'm, say... I'm used, I'm used to that with Dr. McDonald. Right. So okay. Well, he, he and I do quite well when we've... When he's been a guest on the show, I used to have on, on human events. So you went dark. Uh, you just turned to me. <laughs> I'll give you pitch black. That's right. Right. Well, the Leonard Cohen song, "You Want It Darker," that's my theme song. Uh, look, <laughs> the the first thing the first thing is, and I I won't uh, I won't back away for a moment for what I said when or what I said when uh, about not being able to win. No, we cannot win. Win uh, is something that is is a final ultimate victory. So the first thing people need to do is grow up and get tough because they have to realize that we put ourselves again in this position voluntarily over generations and we can't claw back the liberty we've lost simply by sitting back and letting somebody else do it. So as I like to say, based on a fun story from my partner, we need to be willing to take off our shoes and run barefoot on rocks to do what we have to do. We're going to have to inflict a little bit of pain. And then what we can do, though is we can take ground and we can do something kind of neat. We can hold ground. So, you know, we've got a great, great expression in, uh, in recovery where we say we keep what we have only with vigilance. And uh, so to the extent we can reclaim liberty, it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy it and it doesn't mean we can't have it for a prolonged period of time. It simply means we don't get to just say we've won and set down our, our weapons of protecting that liberty. And, and don't panic, audience. I'm not suggesting 
literal weapons where we go shoot people before we get, you know, blown up here on YouTube or something. But um, so be patient, be relentless, be vigilant, understand that you're going to have to make a sacrifice because you already sacrificed your liberty. So now you're going to have to sac sacrifice something else to get it back. Um, I, and I feel very, very strongly about that. I mean, I'm in the fight. You guys are in the fight. We put ourselves at personal risk in harm's way for doing what we've done, the statements we make, the things that we write, the actions we take, right? So um, w none of us, none of the three of us can do everything. Guess what, though? We can all do something, and we are, and so can everybody else. So grow up and get in the game. Zelenko, of course, was an Orthodox Jew, uh, a very observant man. Um, you mentioned in the recovery industry. I'm not sure what your experience is there. Well, let's put it this way. This is filled with Diet Sprite and lemonade, not, not vodka and tonic. How's that? Understood. And so, so in the 12-step industry, in the 12-step um, uh, environment, they talk about one day at a time. And that is not looking so far ahead to where you're going to be next week or next month or next year, but figure out how you're going to get through today and then worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. So it seems like with this freedom movement, fighting for liberty, two things are necessary. One is fight the battle that you can fight today without worrying about tomorrow, understanding that the odds are quite overwhelming. And number two, with, without a faith in God of a higher power, not unlike 12-step, by the way, the first step is, uh, is saying that you're, you're powerless, um, that it seems like it's, if you don't have those two things, the idea of the present and, um, and one day at a time, and the idea that there is a higher power, your belief in God as Zev had and, and you have, that it's, it's really difficult to even be in this battlefield. Well, right. Well, it is. Uh, it depends on the person and depends on their outlook. And um, I mean, I, I, I actually, it was interesting. I did a show earlier today with someone, a very, very learned person, and we had a wonderful conversation. And, um, you know, we, we talked about this idea of this being this Christian nation, this God-centered nation, and how he felt that um, that is what motivated Americans to be able to fight so bravely on the, on the battlefield, right? Was that calling, that commitment from God and feeling we were centered that way. And I argued that I think that a properly motivated atheist could fight just as well. Uh, one could be dedicated to the notion of scripture. One could just as easily be dedicated to the secular notion of a constitution in a document that embraced all of the best of what the Enlightenment gave us. Either way, you have something that you could be committed to and fight for and believe in. I think one of our problems in America today is that people don't necessarily believe in much. Um, we're not uh, nihilists because we haven't heard of it, most of us. But if we'd heard of it, maybe we would be. And, um, and I think that's, that's tragic because I think that what really can separate us as, as humans and make us extraordinary is whether it's a devotion to God or a devotion to an ideal that's even outside of God, like our constitution, those devotions can drive and motivate you. Because in the case of God, you want to make sure you meet him with honor. In the case of a constitution, you want to make sure you leave it to others. Either way, those forces can drive you 
and I think sadly both are lacking in America today. Either way you look at it. You know, Mark as a psychiatrist, I'm sure you deal with this all the time. People that have despair that they have difficulty getting through the day, and uh, I mean, I'll I'll tell you, you and I both know this because it, it happens to me. We're we're battling, and there doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel. How do you how do you counsel people to get through that when? You can't actually see the end, a successful end. You and I, of course, are, uh, are in the midst of a lawsuit where we're suing the Medical Board of California and the Attorney General over this crazy law that was passed in California, AB 2098, that says the Medical Board of California can take away our license if they don't like what we're saying. How do you counsel patients to continue on and to have hope and to move on to the next day and, and continue to battle? Dennis Prager says that despair is a sin. He's not an optimist or a pessimist, but when things go bad, despairing is actually a sin against God because it leaves you impotent. And I would, I would agree with that. But I also think that on a pragmatic level, when you're in a situation where you're not able to establish and mobilize your resources to get in the fight because the opposition is so powerful. For example, let's say you're a couple with two children in a public school, you don't have a lot of money, can't get a charter school, can't get private tutors, you're facing a crime-ridden, uh, derelict, uh, vagrant-infested streets of Los Angeles, as many of my patients are, and the parents of my patients. And on top of that, you are surrounded by a social circle of families and children who are narcissistic, social media driven influencer types on TikTok. And you are trying to fight against a tide of evil and delinquency. You're uh, Don Quixote tilting against the windmills. In that kind of a situation, rather than simply fall into, slide into despair, I think it would be, pragmatically speaking, better if you packed up and moved and you relocated to a place where you actually have a fighting chance of not being despairing. Says the guy who's contemplating moving to Europe. Uh, Southern Croatia, yes, specifically. Well, look, I, here's, here's what I think uh, with regard to the notion of despair. First of all, a note on optimism. Uh, I think that pride ought to be removed as one of the seven deadly sins. I think it's virtuous and I think that it ought to be replaced with optimism. I've seen optimism be responsible for more destruction, especially in the world of business, uh, where I've lived for almost my entire adult life, uh, than, than any other emotion. Um, it's, it's not rational, it's not founded, it's, it's just silly and it's destructive. So we shouldn't be optimistic, we shouldn't be pessimistic. We, but and realism is the key, but it's about more than just being realistic. Realistic is, is vapid without a thought process around it. So it's like, I'm going to be realistic. Good for you. What does that mean? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to realistically say, list and describe everything around me. Okay, well, now what? Because what we need to do in this country is we need to start to take action. And what every individual can do, you know, we're, we're dissidents here and I get asked a lot, how do you get involved? And I, you know, and I think, and Mark, it'd be funny, you as the, as the psychiatrist here, you can critique this notion a bit, but I always say, look, try to, try to build an equilateral triangle out of yourself. Try to find something about which you're passionate. 
try to then take a look at what your natural talents are and then try to take a look at what skill set you've developed all the time and then put those three together perfectly and uh, try to use that combination to find the best way for you to get involved because everybody can do something and if they can try to put it together with that in that little simple equilateral triangle then maybe they can find that they stay motivated that they have some natural gifts for it and actually some of the stuff they learn during the day applies right and then it's easier for them to get active but it doesn't do any good to be realistic and inactive uh, you, you know, you, the force that needs to act upon you to get you into motion is the government tapping on your shoulder saying we're taking away more of your individual rights. All right, let's prove Newton right and let's not be at rest any longer. Brent, you're completely correct when you say, and I'm speaking from the position of a clinician, that holding a helpful stance, whether it's a philosophical one or an emotional one, such as optimism, is certainly helpful, but it is not sufficient in the absence of action. And I think that in the clinical community, we as clinicians have grown too focused on containing feelings and guiding feelings rather than on instigating action. And that has been, I think, a huge failing in the psychology and psychiatry community. If one is appropriately guided with an appropriate stance and then takes action that is far, far more powerful for elevating the individual and also contributing to the benefit of society than simply adopting a namaste position, which is present in the absence of action. I really couldn't care less how namaste you are and how much peace you want to manifest. If you're not taking action, you are a non-entity both as a patient and also as a, as a citizen of society. So I think you're actually completely correct. And I, I, I think it, it, it is correct, not just in a clinical sense, but also in a social sense. Well, thank you for that. Coming from you, my intellectual senior, I'll, I appreciate that and accept it. A little bit of validation. I, I'm going to do something I don't actually do very often. I'm going to plug something of my own. And if people go to human events uh, and easy enough to either click on my awful picture and look at the things I've written, or you could type in the word dissident and you'll find it. But I wrote an essay that I originally published in January of 2021. I updated it this past November after the election and we republished it on human events. And the reason I bring it up is that the entire back half of that essay, after I explained to people why we're dissidents, how we got here, what it means from a rights perspective and so on. I give close to 20 different sort of specific things that you can do yourself to get involved or make a difference, ways to fight back, things to keep in mind. When I've lectured about it, people come up to me afterwards and they say, oh, thank you. You're the, you know, all the speakers always tell us about what all the problems are, but you actually gave me something I can do. And people seem genuinely excited about that. So, it is called Understanding and Embracing the Role of a 21st Century American Dissident. And, and we'll have that link up on Informed Dissent Media uh, so people can just click on it and uh, immediately read it. I appreciate that. Like I say, I feel a little funny, you know, saying, hey, go read something I wrote. Uh, but, but I think it's worthwhile just because of the response I've received from it. It's been read worldwide now. And, uh, and again, I'm mentioning it because there's actual real things that you can do. 
we learn from Marx. You know, Marx said ideas without action are useless. And uh, we, can all, we can all talk about a lot of things and analyze the problems. But um, at some point in time, we, we need to, to get into action. And certainly, you know, we started this interview with, which you guys are very kind to, to have me on, starting about talking about Zev Zelenko. And here's a man who was certainly willing to get involved and take action. A man who traveled what we like to call in America the hero's journey. Right. You know, this immigrant kid from Kiev came to upstate New York, modest medical practice, family doctor, Orthodox Jewish fella with the Orthodox Jewish patient base. One day his patients start dying very quickly from a brand new disease. And he decides he's not going to sit back and wait for the government to tell him what to do. He's going to try to figure it out. And lo and behold, he did. And in March of 2020, not 2021. March of 2020, while the rest of the country was starting to lock down, he began successfully treating patients. When you move the clock forward to the end of his life, by the time Zev passed away, he had overseen the treatment for approximately 7,500 uh, China flu sufferers with three deaths. You can drop the mic, except I don't want to because I like talking to you guys. 7,500 patients and three deaths. And what did this hero encounter on his journey? Scorn and resentment and ridicule and death threats to him and his family because he dared stand against the prevailing winds and yell stop. And by the end of his life, the studies began to pour out. And lo and behold, he was vindicated. And the treatment protocol that he created works. And the studies acknowledged and showed that it worked. And he did pass away knowing that he had been vindicated. So the hero's journey was complete. We tell that story in the book. We talk about treatment. We talk about the man-made nature of the virus. We talk about the vaccine. Most importantly, we tell his story his way. So I, I think it's a compelling read. And, I, and by the way, if, you're, if your viewers purchase a copy, I want them to know that all of the proceeds go to the Zelenko Freedom Foundation. Uh, the foundation owns the book. I assign them my copyright and uh, and my royalties. So every dime for the book goes to the foundation. Brent, tell us about the Zelenko Freedom Foundation. What does the foundation do? Sure. So the you could almost call the establishment of the foundation Zev's dying declaration. It was on uh, June 14th uh, that he put out the announcement that uh, he was starting a foundation and that he had selected Ann Vandersteel and Kevin Jenkins to be its co-chairman. Uh, Ann I've known a long time. She's a very dear friend, and Kevin's a wonderful guy. I've gotten to know him, but Ann was, was crazy enough to ask me to join them on, on their board, which is a privilege, so I've joined the foundation in that sense. And what we're trying to do is we're involved in the medical freedom movement. We're also involved in trying to work with and cultivate young minds, so Zev was a big believer in the need for engaging young people and trying to develop critical thinking and skeptical thinking skills. So our work is focused on uh, the world of medical freedom and then also working with young people. We have two programs we're supporting right now initially. One is the Zelenko Fellows Program, uh, where we've selected our first young person uh, to be in that program. And what we do is contribute towards their education and help uh, steer them to exercise critical and skeptical thinking. We're looking in the areas of medicine, in the areas of media or education, 
Um, our first uh, our first uh, person is is in the world of media, so we're working with him. Our second program we're supporting is something called Common Ground Campus, where we uh, go around the country to high schools or colleges. We ask the students what is a really divisive issue on your campus. They tell us. We find the two different sides to that issue. And we sit down in front of a live audience and a film crew. And instead of having those two sides debate the issue, in fact, debating is not permitted, we force them to articulate what they think the problems are. They ask each other's questions. And we engage in that, that process until we find common ground on those divisive issues. So something very much in the spirit of, of course, critical thinking and uh, bringing people together, encouraging open dialogue. So we have a lot of plans uh, for where we would like to go. We're just getting started. You know, the foundation's basically a half year old. And, um, but our 501c3 status has been approved. So the IRS has blessed us. And uh, certainly anybody who would, would like to make a donation, uh, I'm not here to, to panhandle, but it's a very worthy cause and we're working really hard and we're just getting started. So literally every dime helps. I need to mention something uh, about this book because I did read the book. I didn't just skim it as many people say, I read the book, it's great. And I read I yours, actually, Mark, as you know. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I, you know, I, I appreciate sincere readers who actually digest the content and not just skim the chapter headings and then you know, promote the book. Um, you asked me to read the book, I did, and I actually read it from, from cover to cover. I read every page of the book and it's excellent. It is uh, an, an amazing balance and a successfully amazing balance between information and storytelling, which is very difficult to achieve. I have read many books in the medical freedom movement. Many have amazing data, but they're very dry. There are those that have amazing stories, but there's really not much to learn from them other than sort of going for the ride, the emotional ride. And I was really impressed with the ability that you achieved in establishing a, a real personal accounting of this man's life with actual information that one can take from it, which is a very difficult thing to achieve. It's hard to do that. And I think you did it. And I, I want to mention that uh, for the record because uh, I, I'm, my standards are quite high for, for, for books. And this really was... Uh, was quite impressive and I highly recommend it. And I, I mean that from the position of an actual reader, not just somebody who's, like I said, skimming the pages. I actually did read it cover to cover and it's an excellent and compelling book, which has a lot of very important information for the reader to, to, to glean from. I, uh, look, I'm not, I'm not sure what to say about that. You talk about, uh, respect, you know, how much respect I have for you and your writing and your work. Uh, we've talked about it at length in interviews that we've done on, on, on the other side. This is a home game for you uh, today on this one. Um, but uh, look, I, I will just say that uh, as a writer, uh, those are the best words you can get, especially from someone who writes themselves. And so I appreciate that. It was, an, it was a challenging book to write for me. I mean, so writer to writer, and then your audience can enjoy whatever they'd like from this. Um, one of the great challenges I had was doing exactly what you mentioned, and that was trying to tell a compelling story. When the publisher of the book read the manuscript, she said, this reads like a thriller. And I thought that was really interesting, right? That I wasn't expecting that. And, and I thought, well, may, maybe it does. 
but in the back end of the book, so your audience knows, the book's in three sections. The first one is really getting to know and understand Zev Zelenko and who he was. A little bit about his life, a little bit about his journey through cancer, which shaped his philosophy, and then about his philosophy. So you could see how he was coming at it. Second part of the book we call The COVID Storm, and that's where we take people through this journey from, you know, this mild-mannered, you know, nondescript family physician in upstate New York um, through becoming an international figure and all the things and the arrows that were that were shot at him along the way and, and everything he did, right? And in the third part of the book, Zeb was known for three things. One was for arguing that this was always a treatable virus. The other was for arguing that it had to be man-made. And the other one was to say, don't take the vaccine, and especially if you're children. And so what we do in the last part of the book, which we call making the case, is we make all three of those cases. And I will just tell you then finally as a writer, what a challenge for me, because I'm a layman. I, unlike the two of you with the medical knowledge you have, I mean, for you, this is like reading the back of a cereal box. It's as easy as it gets. But for me, I had to interview Zev. I had to read studies. I had to understand it. And then what I had to do was try to spit it back out accurately and in a way that other, you know, sort of simpletons like myself uh, could understand. And um, hardest bit of writing I've ever done. And uh, Mark, to hear the, what you just said, um, certainly makes it all worthwhile. So very, very great, great work. work. Really, really good product. I'm, I'm very impressed. And I highly recommend the book to anyone who has any interest at all in what's happening in today's society, which means every one of us. Brent, where can uh, people find out more about you? What are your social media coordinates? And uh, how can people follow you if they wish to do so? And importantly, if they want to donate to the Zelenko Freedom Foundation, how can they do that? Let's let's start with the last the last one. So it's, uh, you know, zfreedomfoundation.org. Uh, you'll find the website. Uh, I know you folks will probably post the link for it, and I appreciate that. Uh, you can visit the site and make a donation. So um, we'd be very, very grateful. Again, I shared with you the programs we're doing now. We've got more things planned. We're like every other startup. Uh, not for profit, right? We've got to get going. We need help. We need people to believe in our vision. So please do that. In terms of following me, I'm not all that interesting to follow, but uh, <laughs> if your life is, is dull, dull, boring, and omnipresent, as Steve Martin might say, uh, you can find the things I write at uh, humanevents.com. Uh, and, you know, again, click on my picture. That way it goes away. And you can actually look at the stuff that I've written. <laughs> Finally, I'd, I'd suggest to people, I would urge people, to visit the uh, program, the commongroundcampus.com, commongroundcampus.com, which is a program that the Zelenko Foundation is supporting. Take a look. So far, there's been three events, one at the University of Georgia, one at the University of Houston, and one at Medina High School in Ohio. And I think you will be extraordinarily impressed at watching young people sit and do what a lot of older people think they can't do anymore. And that is intelligently, politely, and constructively engaging one another on divisive issues on their campus. So we hope to do more of that. We can only do it with your financial support. So God love you guys for giving me a chance to just go through that at the end. I, I appreciate it. And uh, this has been a this has been a real treat. I mean, two two really smart guys and 
and, and a third guy. We could do a movie, two smart guys and a third guy. <laughs> and, uh, so, so I enjoyed it. I don't know who's going to play us, but uh, we, we, we'll cast our own. Uh, we'll do our own casting, I guess. <laughs> and Brent, where do people get the book Zelenko, How to Decapitate the Serpent? So if you go to um, ZelenkoBook.com, uh, right now you'll get, um, although it might, it's going to change any moment. Uh, initially, you've been being redirected to Amazon to buy the book. And by the way, we all know all the stories about Amazon, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the right thing here and say Amazon's been really good to us. They've been great about printing and shipping books. The comments that the reviews people are posting, they're not editing those. Um, and some of them are fairly strong. Uh, positive about the book, but strong about the pandemic. Amazon has been very good to us, and so we should acknowledge that. Uh, but soon we will actually be printing the books ourselves. And why would we do that? Well, then we make more money. And when I say we, I don't mean me. You know, I'm, I'm good. I own one sweater and my Thomas Hobbes poster. I'm set for life. But uh, the foundation makes more money. And so we'll sell them direct and uh, have a little bit better profitability. So zelenkobook.com. That's wonderful. Brent Hamachek, thank you so much for joining us on Informed Descent. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Informed Descent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Descent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.